Today, we well, actually, last week with communion, we kind of started the, the, the new series that we're going to be looking at from God's Word for a while. And what prompted it really is, is in our church family, we've had a variety of sufferings, and, and it, there's been a lot of cancer, as our brother just shared with us. And, uh, wow, it's just, uh, I'm like, I never get tired of hearing it. <laughs> Uh, it's a modern-day miracle that we get to enjoy and be a part of. But I admit, and I think you would too, anybody here enjoy suffering? Anybody wake up this morning, Lord, give me a day of suffering. We don't like it, do we? But we will wake up, Lord, give me a day of comfort. We like that. And you know I've expressed to you I love my comfort zone. But suffering, pain, agony, frustration, depression, fears, anger, bitterness, violence, loneliness, sickness, tragedy, sorrow are just a few of the words that we experience one way or another every day. And the consequences of being living in a sin-cursed world. And it's been tragic to see what's happening in the Middle East this week. And, and just it's just sad to see what... And how foolish man can be. No one enjoys suffering. No one makes suffering a hobby. But in James chapter 1, and let's turn there please. The Lord's goal for us in the next several weeks is to reframe our thinking and our attitudes about the suffering that God brings into our lives. And James 1, 2 very clearly says... My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I don't know about you, but that verse puzzled me for years. But I've come to realize joy and enjoy are two different things. Because I don't think God expects us to enjoy our trials, but to find joy. And we're going to look at that over the next several weeks. Because Hebrews chapter 12, and this verse just... I cannot comprehend it because I know what our Lord went through for me. But look what it says here. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. It was joy for him to suffer on my behalf. So I could free of my sin curse. Eventually, in fact, this week, Janet Beveridge, mom passed away, and she asked if I would be willing to do her funeral. And so those people in that room, I, I tried to get them to imagine what it must be like for her right now. She's in the presence of the Lord. She's free of her own sin nature. Aren't you looking for that day? <laughs> When our sin nature will no longer plague us. And will, she's no longer living in a sin-cursed world. All this is now behind her. And now she's in the very presence of the Lord. And those of us that are here this morning that know Christ our Savior, that is our blessed hope. We look forward to that day. But our Lord considered a great joy on my behalf to endure suffering. And if he did not... You and I would not be saved today. That was necessary. 
And we need to appreciate and now, in a sense, be willing to suffer on his behalf. Whatever suffering he brings into our lives, because it is there for a very specific reason. Now there's some suffering that we bring on ourselves, and, and I'm part of that. I have suffering in my life because of the consequences of my sin. I have no one to blame but myself. I bring it on myself. But then there's other curses such as our brother shared. He did nothing to get that cancer. It was that sin that brought that into his life. And others of you that are, and praise the Lord, um, um, <laughs> boy, why do I do this? Why do I get this brain freeze? Um, she's got her, had her last chemo, and praise the Lord, everything will come out. When's your, when's your PET scan next week? 21st. And praise the Lord, hopefully that will come out very well as, as well. But, you know, nothing that she did caused that. Um, we all have sufferings that we just... In our, in our world, we got natural disasters, we got famines, we got diseases, we got plagues. But it's because of the curse of sin on this planet that those things exist. I believe God puts them there so people will ask why. And come to the conclusion that only sin could bring us here. And then we need to respond to it. Obviously, very few are going to. Thank God we have. But some people think that since God is supposed to be a good and loving God, uh, there should be no suffering. And they just don't understand, and they've never examined the scriptures to find out how this is all supposed to play out. Others even use it as an excuse to say there is no God. For if there's a God, he'd be a good God, and he would prevent all this from happening. And maybe perhaps you've thought that in your own life. You've had some very horrible things happen to you in the past, and you were wondering maybe why you're going through it, or even maybe later. God, where were you? Why didn't you protect me? And I don't know that we can give a definite answer to that, except that God did know what you were going through. God did not forget you, and he was suffering right along with you. However, we want our personal suffering, we, we all want our personal suffering to stop now. In fact, better yet, we don't want it even to ever get started. But it's here. We can't avoid it. It's going to come. As one pastor said, if you have not suffered yet, you haven't lived long enough. It's inevitable. It's going to come. You can't avoid it by living in this sin-cursed world. So since suffering will never go away until Christ comes, all believers will then enter a new heaven, a new earth, and a new stage of eternity, and it will be free of all this. And we can look forward to that. And I do. Paul did himself. In fact, Paul himself got despaired now again. He said, I despair of life. And he lists all the things that he suffered. And all of his in his room never suffered all the things that he suffered in one person. And yet, I don't see any place where he complained. He seemed to have his act together in that particular area. But suffering will bring some to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are some of you, if you would examine your heart and life, you would, you would observe that these events caused me to seek out God. And as I asked one woman and that had suffered a divorce, that was unsaved prior to the divorce and, and participated in our divorce care group. On, on, on the night we started, she wasn't saved, but at the end of it, she was. I asked her, 
If this divorce had never taken place, do you believe you would ever come to know Christ? She said, I don't believe so. My world was secure and I didn't need God. But when this happened, I needed help. And that's why she came. Our church put a sign out there, divorced, suffering, need help. And she came and she found Christ. And that woman is on fire for God today. And uh, now that she's single, she uses her time to go on mission trips and serves God in those capacities. And she's a very dear friend and sister of the Lord today. So we need to see that God's sovereignty over Satan's rule in the world. The Bible calls Satan the ruler of this world. Let's turn to John chapter 12. Verse 31. Now we're going to look at several verses here because John had Satan pegged well. And now the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Chapter 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing for me. And this is Christ speaking in regard to him. Chapter 16, verse 11. Of judgment, because the, world, the ruler of this world is judged. Satan is that ruler. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He's called the God of this world. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. Now we ought to remember, he is not God. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He is not all-powerful. Yet, he has designed this world in such a way that his influence is before us from the, day, from the morning we wake up and open our eyes to the time we go to bed at night. By way of the influences around us, by way of television, radio, people we lived with, uh, our governments, everything is polluted with him. And that's all we see is him. I don't know about you, but I think it's even amazing that a human, any human being ever comes to know Christ. And if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be. But he is the God of this world. He has it manipulated well. Ephesians 2, chapter 2, calls him the prince and the power of this world, in which you were once walked according to this course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I, I, somebody pointed out something to me I, I think is interesting. If you look at creation, after God created every day, he said it was good, except for one. When he created airspace, he did not say it was good. And I wonder if it's because Satan occupied it, because he is the prince and the power of the air. He controls the atmosphere. He controls the weather. Or God, let's put it this way. God allows him to control it to a degree. Because if you remember, Job had four or five trials that hit him. Two of them involved Satan, things that Satan controlled from the air, a whirlwind and fire. Interesting thought. 
but he does have control of the elements to some degree. And there's other places in scripture where we could see that. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4 and see where he had the audacity to offer Christ his kingdom. Because that is what he sees at this point. He sees himself as the king and the God of this world. And he actually offers it to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Luke 4, 5 through 7. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him in all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, all this authority I will give you, like you really had it. <laughs> and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Is he lying here? I don't believe so. I believe there is a sense in which God has allowed Satan to have control of certain things. And he knows it. But I'm not sure he understands that it's limited. Perhaps he does. But what's he trying to accomplish here? He says very clearly, I will give you this world authority. It has been delivered to me. I will give it to whomever I want. He's in control, so he thinks. You must worship me. What if Christ had done so? He would have given up his sovereignty to a finite being. And Christ would have not been in charge, but he would have been. We must never lose sight of this in our suffering that Christ is still in control of every detail. Satan is the ruler of this world, but he can only do what God allows him. Let's turn to Job. And this is where some would say that God is not a good God. Why would he allow this to happen to Job? It states very clearly right from the very beginning. He's the most righteous man on the face of the earth. But we'll read in verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you ever considered my servant Job? Oh boy, I, I thought God was my friend. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns him. And, and Satan answered and said to him, Well, does Job fear God for nothing? You have made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side. In other words, you're protecting him. Why shouldn't he be a good man? If you keep all the evil stuff from him, yeah, he's going to be good. It's only natural. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan had to figure it out, didn't he? And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We all know what happened, don't we? Satan really turned the heat up on Job. Within a matter of minutes, he lost everything that he owned, except for his wife and four friends. And we wonder how good of friends they really were when we see what they, how they approached him. God is actually using Satan to fulfill God's purpose in human history, and it involved suffering for Job. God sets up and removes all kings and throughout all human history. 
Let's turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2, 20-21. Daniel answered and said, Blessed is the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who are understanding. Chapter 4, verse 17. The decision is by the decree of the watchers and set by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. As tragic as things are in the Middle East right now, who is in control of all those events? Who is in control of those kings that are there, that are going up and down, and, and whoever's in charge? God is in charge. If God gives us Obama for another four years, who's in charge? God is in charge. And on that day, should God put him in there again, I am going to deliberately say, God, thank you. I do not doubt your word. I do not doubt what your purpose is. May we respond to what you are attempting to do in our lives through his leadership. We have to do that because it's very clear here. In Psalm chapter 2, 2 through 4, even though God puts them in there, we need to see what their attitude is toward God in regard to their leadership. Do they care that God put them there? Maybe they don't even know that literally he has put them there. But in Psalm 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. We see God's attitude, don't we? They think they got it under control. They think they're doing everything they want. And God's laughing at them. Mike said, in Sunday school, I think God's got a humor. I agree with you, Mike. <laughs> I believe God's got a great humor. I think there's going to be a lot of it in heaven. It's not going to be a sober, somber time. It's going to be a jubilant time. And there's going to be a lot of laughing going on because God laughs too. But here, this is kind of a, a mockery laugh at these individuals. You are so cocky to think that you're in control. And you do not understand. Psalm 33, 10-11. He will frustrate their attempts. In fact, I think of this with some of these leaders. They're defiant about God. They think they have things under control. Says the Lord brings the council nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The council of the Lord stands forever. Those that think they're in control, how disappointed they would be if they really realized God is using them for his purpose. They are not in control at all. They never quite achieve what they want. And God will not allow them to. God is sovereign over all the nations, the good and even the very evil. They do not accomplish anything without his permission. Now let's look at the sovereignty over Satan's angels. 
in Revelation 12, 14, makes it very clear. And we have no idea how many angels God created. They are definitely a different being from us. They're not created in His image, and yet they are powerful, they are intelligent, they seem to be able to think well and make choices. But we find in Revelation 12, 4, talking about Satan, he drew a third of the stars, which is referring to the angels of heaven, threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Whatever the number is, and it's probably beyond our comprehension, Satan took one-third of them when he left heaven. I don't think he forced them. I think it was their choice. It appears to me from God's word that angels had one opportunity to make a choice. Are there still angels following Satan today? I doubt it. It seemed like as a one-time event, they made your choice. And of course, that was all in God's plan too. In regard to Lucifer, we've already looked at this somewhat, but in regard to Lucifer, was it a shock when this beautiful, most powerful, intelligent angel decided to become a god? No, it wasn't. That too was part of God's plan. Now, how are these angels being used today? Satan's angels are all evil. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8, 31. See how they are described in Scripture. Matthew 8, 31. Which says, So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast out, permit us to go away into this herd of swine. The demons, they are, they are demons. And Luke 7, 21, they're called evil spirits. Let's turn to Luke 7, 21. And that very hour he cured many of infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Matthew 10, 1 calls them unclean spirits. And again, I don't expect many of us here have had much exposure to these kind of things. Unless you are dabbling in the occult or in Satanism or something of that nature, it's probably totally foreign to you. And to me, I've not had any experience with it. But it says here, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and kinds of disease. I do believe this for us as that are believers. We can never be indwelt by a demon or a, a, an evil spirit. The Holy Spirit and, that, and the evil spirit cannot dwell the same place. That can't happen. However, I know missionaries that have worked in other countries where demonism and spiritism is an everyday thing. It's as common as us drinking a cup of coffee. And they describe some horrible, horrible things that take place because of the influence of angels, or hey, Satan's angels. And if it wasn't for the protection of Christ on their behalf, you can be sure what these angels and these demons would do on their behalf. It is scary. In fact, uh, one man that I know uh, went to Brazil. He was there. He wasn't even there a full term. They were in an area when spiritism and de demonism was extremely high, back in the bush. And it was so devastating that his wife could not 
take it and they had to come home from the field. It, it just almost literally drove her crazy to see the things that, literally, things that were floating through the house. Uh, just horrible things that you and I just cannot imagine. But there is devil and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say, then he will also say to those left on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, and cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for devil and his angels. Our suffering does come from these things. Probably on our behalf, not a great deal. But there is a much of it out there. And we need to avoid it. There is a demonic warfare going on. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. This is referring to Satan by way of a comparison with the king of Persia but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold Michael one of the chief priests came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia <laughs> we can go to other places in scripture where I could take time this morning where there is almost a literal battle and in the revelation it talks about Michael and his angels battling Satan and his perhaps you have felt the presence of evil spirits some places where you've been I've had that experience. And you can almost sense that in the air there's a battle of the angels and the demons fighting for control of things that are going on. It is an uneasy feeling. But the demons, they do know their inevitable end. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29. They're not blind to what is going to take place. And suddenly they cried out saying, What have we do to you with with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to tor torment us before the time? What time are they referring to? They know there's a wait for them in a lake of fire. They know it's coming. And yet they continue to persist. There is a very real literal battle of angels going on, and it does create suffering. Maybe not on us directly here, but in other parts of the world, I believe it is very, very prevalent. God's sovereignty over Satan's persecution. 1 Peter 5. Again, we do not experience a great deal of persecution yet. I believe it's entirely possible that we may see it here in America before God takes us away with the rapture. The world is increasingly developing a hatred, not, and it's really not a hatred for Christians, is it? What did Christ say? They don't hate you. They hate me, but they can't get to me, so they're going to get to you. So they're going to take it out on us, because it's the only, one way, the only way they can. But 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I don't want to raise a hand, but I'm going to ask a question. How many of us even consider praying for the persecuted throughout the rest of the world? 
If you're like me, it's not prevalent on your mind. But we need to be thinking about these brothers and sisters every day of their lives and be praying on their behalf. And so I suggest on your prayer list, if you have one, if you don't start one, put on there, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today who are under persecution by Satan today. Praise the Lord. The pastor in Iran who was set to be executed has been released from prison. No doubt that happened because Christians were praying. We see in the New Testament, Peter and James and others were set free from prison because of the prayers of the saints. But Satan's on the prowl. He's looking for any way he can to destroy us. He wants to devour us. Why? He doesn't have to worry about the unsaved. He's got them where he wants them. He wants to devour us. He wants us as Christians to look horrible before the rest of the world. Because that would discourage people from wanting to ever be thinking about Christ. Because I believe the one number one thing that keeps people from wanting to be a Christian is because of the hypocrites. Peter challenges us to resist these attacks. He tells us to resist it because we can. As powerful and as big as his influence is, we can resist him. We have the blood of Christ. He does not have to control us. But if we get put into a bad situation, does that mean he's abandoned us? Not at all. Because even in that, God's going to use it. How many times do we see Peter and Paul in prison singing praises? And before that got done, they led people to Christ because they were in prison. We see that happening even today. And so if God puts us in prison because of our faith in Christ, how do we need to look at that? My ministry for Christ has just changed. I now have a captive audience. <laughs> i got prisoners that are here with me that need to hear Christ, and I'm going to tell it to them. Or cancer in a the, in the hospital. i got captive audience. i got nurses and doctors that can't go anywhere. I can tell them what God's doing in my life. We need to share. That's why God allows these things. So Peter encourages us as Christians to be willing to suffer for doing good. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better if it is the will of God. Notice, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If I'm going to suffer, I want to suffer for doing something right. Instead of suffering for doing something that's sinful. That's what Peter's saying. Peter knew that. He suffered for Christ. He was willing to endure the imprisonments and the beatings and whatever abuse came with his preaching the gospel. At least I'm suffering for the right thing. I'm, I'm suffering for a, an eternal cause and not a temporary one. Satan's total persecution, I believe, was unleashed on Christ at persecution. Luke chapter 22. I personally believe that when Christ was here on the face of the earth, the demon activity was at its highest peak on the earth, probably throughout all history. That's why we see so many events where Christ cast out demons and, and, and the ones that were cast out into a herd of 2,000 swine. He pulled out all the stops. He wanted to do everything he can to, to keep people's eyes off of Christ. 
Luke 22:52. And Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who came against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and power of darkness. All the stops were pulled out, and it needed to be. He suffered on our behalf. It was a free will that he laid down his life. John 10, 18. We're probably very familiar with that verse. I am the one who bears the witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears the witness of me. It's not the one I want. I'm in 8, 18. I want 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Even in persecution, Christ uses Satan to accomplish his will. And so as we begin to look at various aspects, various aspects of suffering in the next several weeks, I pray that we will allow God to give us a new perspective on the suffering that comes into our lives. We don't need to say, God, send me suffering so I can glorify you. God has it already planned. What we need to pray is, God, when the suffering comes, help me to glorify you through that suffering. As you glorified the Father in suffering on my behalf. And that is what God would have us do. Father, we thank you for your son who suffered on our behalf. Father, we admit we don't like suffering. We avoid it at all costs. And Father, you even have told us in the Lord's Prayer that we can pray to be delivered from temptation. But Father, there are things that you deliberately plan on our behalf that will enhance our relationship with you and enhance our light of you throughout the rest of the world. And so Father, we pray that we in our suffering will learn to deal with the sufferings that you send our way, just as Job did. Job did not curse you to your face, but he said,